Shapeshifters. Gil Oved is our shapeshifter this evening. Who? Well, then you don't watch Dragon's Den South Africa. You probably didn't watch kids TV way back in the 1980s or 90s? Uh, 1990s. 1990s. You're not that old. Okay. Old, but not that old. You, you presented a show called Zap Mag. Yeah. What was that about? It was a youth magazine program in those days on TV One. I think it was TV One before it changed over. And it was anything and everything that's interesting to teenagers of the 1990s. What sort of content may you, may you have put on ZapMag? Anything from the latest celebrities, music stars that came to South Africa, all the way to young inventors, uh, sports people, anyone who was worthy of a three-minute story. Was it ever in bad taste? Often. Like this, you mean? This Today is... On uh, Another Eurozap contribution. Um, really? Yeah, yeah that was oh. cool. You know, there's actually a chance that the three of them will reunite in 95. Really? Uh, only three of them. Y- yeah, you see, Mark Chapman killed John Lennon, so there are three left. Well, I'm sure that Mark Chapman could reunite all four of them if oh. they let him out of jail. <laughs> That's Lucy. disgusting. Lucy. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> One of those three voices was yours, right? Yes, and I'm cringing terribly. How did you get this? I want to speak to the producer after this. It's called the World Wide Web. It's the internet, and it's a wonderful resource for getting embarrassing content on our guests. Yeah, the only thing is that in those days, there was no World Wide Web, so I don't know how this popped up. But Some, Somebody's popped it on the internet. Yeah, clearly. But, but, but that's where you started out. I mean, there was fun TV. You were having good fun. You were having a laugh. It was well produced. It was I, cool. I was a teenager... And I was enjoying this ride of my life, meeting incredible people. I mean, you only interviewed people who were at the top of their game in a wide variety of industries. And it was fun. And a little bit of fame didn't hurt anyone anyway. Uh, and so you were doing that. You were 15 at, at the time. You were doing kids TV. Um, you then went into the internet, sort of suddenly exploded. Well, before that, uh, it was quite interesting. I, I'd always wanted to get onto TV. Uh, and once I was on, I realized that what really interested me wasn't being in front of the camera, but rather behind the scenes. That's where the money is made. That is ask, where... Ask, ask the producer of Generations, yes. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know about now, but yeah. yes. Look, it's where the money's made, but at the, the time, that's not the decision. The decision is that's where you become master of your destiny. That's where you can call the shots. And by the way, that also allows you to make money. Mm. And that's the part that excited me. So when I left school... I actually started a TV production company first. And in fact, the second voice that you heard out of three there was my business partner, a guy called Vusi Twala. He's changed his name to Vusi Zion. Okay. And he's a big TV producer now. And come full circle, 20 years later, we're working together. He's one of our suppliers and we're putting TV shows on air. Fabulous. That's absolutely fabulous. But you didn't then go sort of immediately, because you do do some formal education later. You don't go immediately into formal education. You go straight into TV production because it's fast, it's hip, it's happening. Um, yeah. Mnet is created. Yeah. Suddenly the world is your oyster in terms of having opportunities to create great TV production. Yes, and it was also a change of regime at the SABC and there was a new spirit and it was an exciting time for youngsters to come in and, and do new things. And I, I just loved the thought. I tried to study at the same time and uh, it admittedly took me longer than I would have hoped. But uh, I, I did both at the same time. The problem was that it was it, it was the kind of industry at the time that was up and down. Yeah. And I felt I needed some stability and I was looking for other opportunities. So you went into the internet business at the time of the tech bubble. Of Brilliant. course. <laughs> I mean, that is what you had to do. If you were alive in 1998 and you were in your early 20s, all you needed was an idea. And you could raise a couple of million. And that's exactly what I did. I, one of my 
uh, high school friends and I got into partnership. Little did I know, 16 years ago, that he would still be my business partner now. Absolutely. We'll, we'll talk, we'll talk yeah. all about, about yeah. what, what's his name? Ran, Ran Noina. Noina. Is yeah. that how you pronounce his yeah. name? Ran Noina is your business partner today yeah. um, in, in the, the Creative Council. But, but this business, she went into uh, starting a stockbroking portal. You're 12 years old. <laughs> okay, so we were 22. Okay. And um, we were reading articles that dentists and engineers all over the world were about were leaving their, their full-time jobs and becoming online day traders, full-time. And we thought there's an opportunity here. It's coming to South Africa. We've got to have this financial portal. And, uh, Had we, you ever bought a share in your life at that point? A, actually, I did. Okay, um, so you understood a bit of stockbroking. Very, very little. It okay. was purely punting. It was the equivalent of going to a casino, only it seemed a little bit more respectable and equally dangerous. And uh, But that was my entire set of experiences. My business partner, Ran, on the other hand, was a stockbroker for a whole six months. Awesome. Oh, yeah. eminently qualified. Expert. And so the two of us compiled a concept, a, a booklet. We went around and raised a couple of million. And we thought, this is it. We've hit the big time. We're going to be internet millionaires. And you weren't? No, because after a boom, what invariably happens is a bust. And that's exactly what happened. So the investors, after three years, had uh, run out of money, went into liquidation. We kind of lost everything. Yeah. No, I, I, but at least you did it at the age of 22. By um, this time, we were 24. We were okay. very old. You were very old. And you, you'd had some tough life lessons by then. Absolutely. How do, I mean, how important are those? Because you talk um, in stuff that I've read about you, about how kids TV shaped you and gave you the chutzpah to do what you do today and gave you the confidence to talk to people from all walks of life. You go through a very painful experience at 22 to 24 where you lose a lot of money and you're on the bones of your backside at that point. Yeah, pretty much. What does much. that teach you? Uh, everything. You know, it's so strange. Uh, we've had relative success for so long now. And every day, every day I think about and am reminded by the experiences of, of those uh, formative years. And, and you learn a lot about what not to do. I think great entrepreneurs never really know what to do because you're in an ever dynamic, changing environment. But you know a lot of what not to do. And that's sure. very valuable. But uh, we learned the importance of keeping your finger on the pulse, of not buying your own sales pitch of of understanding the dynamics of where an industry is going and not being hyped by, by the crests and troughs that industries go through. Um, Does it make you a better dragon on Dragon's Den? I think what makes a good dragon is someone who understands the breadth of business and more importantly, understands the importance of entrepreneurs and understands the definition of entrepreneurship. What is that definition? It's different to different people. My version is yeah. it's someone who's uh, – I've got a term for it. Passion-fueled optimism. That sounds like you read it in a textbook. No, no, no. This is, my, this is mine. You I'm, wrote that. You wrote that market. textbook. You wrote yeah. that textbook. So I, I'll give you the natural version of my definition. Because Ntlatla Nene could be accused today of, of having passion-fueled enthusiasm. What? Passion-fueled enthusiasm. Passion-fueled optimism. Passion-fueled optimism. I don't know about the optimism part. No, no, you're fairly optimistic if you read between the lines closely enough. But there's just no money in the bank. That's the problem. Um, So you can be as passion-fueled and optimistic as you like, but it doesn't make you Mm. successful, or does it? Well, I I think the concept behind passion-fueled optimism is twofold. On the one hand, a lot of people will forgive a lot of mistakes if you've got passion. And as an entrepreneur, you've got to be optimistic. You can't be a realist. My dad's an engineer. 
and uh, so is Run's father. And when we first started Creative Council, we, we, we were looking to do it. They both told us all the reasons why it wouldn't succeed. Mm. And they were 100% right about everything because they're realists, engineers. What they didn't realize is that entrepreneurs are optimists. They, they don't see the flaws. And when they hit those obstacles, they find ways around them. And if you've got passion and you've got optimism, I think you've got a winning uh, recipe for entrepreneurship. The Creative Council, for those of you who don't know what the business is about, they do brand activations. If you don't know what that's about, well, you can explain it in just a moment, can Gil Oved. But your, your office is amazing. I watched your office being built. And I thought, what kind of lunatic is building grain silos just off the M1 highway near Melrose Arch? Um, because it is that spectacular architectural, des- architecturally designed building just off the M1 south. Um, you take the corner drive, turn off, um, and it's on the right-hand side. Um, why is it that shape? So uh, we've heard very various versions of what people define it as. So grain silos is a good one. That's a fairly new one. We, we've heard spaceship, which is the positive connotation. We've, we've heard <laughs> in, industrial company. And look, there is no official description for that building. We had a very simple philosophy about what we wanted for the building. We wanted people to feel something. They didn't have to love it. It's okay if they hated it, but the worst-case scenario is that they felt nothing about it. You want people to talk about it. You want it to be a landmark. You want people to go, hey, yeah, it's next to the spaceship. But whatever. it's more than that. It embodies what our business is about, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. It's all about activating people's emotions and thoughts, and that's what we wanted to do with our building. Brand activator Gil Oved. He's an entrepreneur. He's co-founded the Creative Council with a guy who went into business with him and they failed dismally between the ages of 22 and 24. Ran Neuner uh, is his business partner, childhood friend. What's it like going to business with a childhood friend? Your business bombs. That must test a relationship. Yeah, I think any partnership is testy. It's a challenge. It's like any relationship. You go through your ups and downs, your love and hate, your makeup and breakup. It, it really is a relationship. But we're very complementary towards each other. We're very different individuals. You learn a lot about someone when you're in business partnership versus being uh, in a friendship with them. And knowing that we come from a similar environment helped a lot. But it's been challenging throughout the years. But Obviously, very, very positive uh, in the long run. What year did you start Creative Council? What was the spark? It was August 2001. Okay. And it was actually credit to Rand's girlfriend at the time, who was a first-year law student, and she was doing promotions on the side to earn extra money. And there we were with all our degrees and fancy experience and failed internet uh, millionaires, and uh, she was making more money than us. So we thought, wait, there's an opportunity here. And uh, we thought this would be the kind of business that we would do to pay for the petrol to get us to the office to let us work out what we really want to do with our lives. And that was 13 years ago. Little did we know. Who was your first client? The first proper client, significant client, was Danone. They took a chance on us. Run went in there on his own, sold them on a dream, passion-fueled optimism. He told them that he could do amazing things. They bought it, and then he came back to the office and said, What are we going to do? Great news. We've got the new account. Terrible news. I have no idea how we're going to pull it off. <laughs> and isn't that what entrepreneurs always do? You know, yeah. I always think of that saying, you've got to bite off more than you can chew and then chew like hell. Yeah, absolutely right. So Danone was the first client. Did they get their money's worth? 
Absolutely. In fact, I think they would admit it now because they're still our client. Really? Yes, absolutely. And we're very proud of that fact. But that's amazing. I mean, because a lot of in the advertising industry, and essentially you're in the advertising industry, uh, clients switch every couple of years. We need fresh ideas. We need new blood. We need to change. They don't. It may be working perfectly, but a new account manager comes in, somebody new comes in as to justify their existence, and people switch. You managed to hold on to them for 13 years. Yeah, and in fact, most of our clients have been with us since the beginning. All the really big clients, the important clients, have been with us through the beginning. But us then and us now is very different. In fact, even two years ago relative to now, it's a completely different business. So I think the reason... One of the reasons I'd like to believe that they stayed with us is because we innovated and changed ourselves. Well, you've evolved. They, they, haven't, the need, they haven't needed to evolve you. You've evolved for them. And that's, you know, we always joke with our friends. Is, our, our circle of friends knows that every six months we have a new shtick. So when I come for a bra or something, they'll go, so Gil, what's your new shtick today? What, what is, what's the new, new thing? And with our business, non-traditional advertising, you've got to have a new shtick every six months. So what is the shtick? of brand activation because it is about reaching as many people as possible. The old line is 50% of advertising doesn't work. We just don't know which 50%. And the nice thing about brand activation is you're going into communities, you go to schools, you go to uh, sports fields or sports events, you take the brand with you and you create an experience for a particular community for that brand. That's exactly spot on. So it's non-traditional advertising. So you'll never see us doing a 30-second TV commercial. And one can argue the benefits and needs of, of something like that. But for us, it's all about engaging consumers and getting them to either act or transact. So it's very straightforward. We want to change behavior. We want to engage them on, a, on an emotional level and a heart level and get into their brains, minds, and hearts and ultimately their wallets. So it's got to have real return on investment. We're not after the creative you know, sure kind of thing that, you know. Give, give me a sense of, of, it, of what you would regard as a great brand activation. Who have you done great work for that has just been right on the money in terms of the ideal activation for a brand? I think a, a good example from this year is uh, a brand called Norox that is owned by Unilever. And we created a whole big idea called Essays Kitchen Queens, Norox Essays Kitchen Queens. And the whole concept is it was a TV show, reality TV show, where we went into communities and found women in the community who give selflessly of their time to doing good work in the community. And we had a competition, a reality show competition. But surrounding all of that, we went into communities. We changed lives. We upgraded those communities. And that's a 360-degree activation that covers TV. It covered PR. It was promoters on the ground talking, educating, building the, the, the brand in the minds of consumers and in the hearts of consumers. And, and there's this new wave of marketing that's happening now that we'd like to believe we, we're helping pioneer. And it's about brands with purpose. It's no longer good enough to just have a great product. Mm. You have to have a great, a, a great values, something a great standing. It's it's greater than just the characteristics of the brand. Yeah, it's okay if it tastes nice or if, if it fizzes when the bottle opens. But uh, unless that's people, a hygiene factor. If, if, unless people feel something for a brand, and more and more of us are sort of going off brands that you know, are just don't, we don't we don't feel a, any sort of connection to them. I suppose, and that's and that's the, what you're achieving. Take me then full circle. So you go from kids TV. Um, you're doing your day job, which is running around like a lunatic finding shtick. Um, I don't even know what shtick is, but I like the sound of it. Um, attitude, I guess. Oh. Uh, it, what it, it, 
it's your thing. Thing. It's your thing. Okay, yeah. finding your thing. Um, and then you get to get approached by the producers of one of the most successful business TV franchises, which is Dragon's Den. Mm. And they say, how about giving away some of your hard-earned money? And you go, that's a great idea. I'm not sure if I said that's a great idea because they didn't say give away. I think there's a big difference between give away and invest. I'd like that to be known. But uh, it was a great idea. Listen, I love entrepreneurs. I'm obsessed with them. And I think entrepreneurship in this, in this country is sorely lacking. And any opportunity for would-be entrepreneurs to be inspired, to be grown, uh, to be mentored is something that excites me. And I thought, what a great opportunity to give some of my information and knowledge back through this and also make some fun investments. Have you invested in companies that you know nothing about? I mean, as you do like to do things you Absolutely. know nothing about. Absolutely. That's how things work. What's the investments we've seen on screen so far that you made? So one of them, one of them recently was we actually invested behind a, a mobile beauty salon. And this particular investment is an important one because we weren't sure about her model. But Charmaine was awesome. But that's the, the, that's the point. You're investing in her, not the business. She could, you, could, you could close down the business tomorrow, but you might still fund her to do something else. I have always invested behind jockeys, not horses. It's always about the jockey. The company will change over time. Clients come and go. Supplies come and go. The only thing that, that, that a company can rely on is the jockey that works out how to make things work even when they're down. Mm. So we were inspired by her. And as an example, whereas usually the first thing we do is we just say, we're out. In this case, all five dragons were fighting each other to invest in her. And we eventually compromised by all of us investing in her. That's the power of real entrepreneurship. Have you got time to give your expertise to the investments that you've made? Because I, I always think that that's quite a difficult thing where you're making a snap decision on an investment. You don't have any pre-warning. You don't have any financials beforehand. You're taking a bet. Um, and then you've got to follow through because part of the deal is you've got a mentor. You've got to look yeah. after these guys. So time is my passion, my, my scarcest commodity. But time is all about making priorities priorities. And for me, inspiring entrepreneurs and building them is part of my priority. So, yes, I'll find the time. Gil Ovet, what a pleasure to see you. Thanks very much for coming in. Gil Ovet is um, the joint founder, the co-founder of the Creative Council. He's had an interesting and patchy business career. He bombed. But he bounced back with vigor and enthusiasm. The Creative Council, 13 years old and still serving many of its original customers. And now he's back on TV, which I suspect was the goal all along.